Hey, welcome to the One Link Podcast. I'm so glad you're with us here today. In the good old One Link recording studio, it is 35 degrees. But I've got the fire fired up and it'll be warm before we know it. Today we are jumping on with another guest and this one from overseas. I love, love, love talking with these people. And this one's especially good. I got a lady on who's working with the Muslim people in Central Asia. You're going to love her story. One thing I think you'll find really encouraging on here today is she says, you know, I'm not a great evangelist. So for those of you who feel like, oh, I really wish I was a great evangelist, but I'm not, I think this will be encouraging for you. Let's jump in with her now. Hi, Nina. Welcome to the show. So glad you could join us here today um, as we continue our our podcast series on sharing about the good news of Jesus. And specifically, I wanted to have you on to talk about doing that overseas, some of the ins and outs of that overseas. So, so glad you could be with us. Start us off, uh, tell our listeners just a little bit about your story. Well, thanks for having me. I'm really glad to be here. Yeah, I have been overseas for 10 years. I left a secular career to come overseas. I had only intended on doing a two-year journeyman term. And then very quickly into the two-year journeyman term, (laughs) I extended that a few months and then have been here ever since. Um, I've done, I'm in my third city of service now. So I lived in one of the biggest cities in the world, working with migrant people and then lived in a significantly smaller, (laughs) poor city, uh, working with some of the most unreached peoples of the world. And now I'm just in a regular calm place, uh, a bigger, the biggest city in the country, but not a big city compared to where I have been uh, working with university students. Okay. Excellent. Tell us a little bit, like when you think about those three different places you've served, one, which one's your favorite? I'm just kidding. I want to ask you that. What do you feel like is some of the differences in working in like mega city versus like a smaller, even though it, it's still a big city, but. I, definitely time. That's the the biggest difference. When you live in a metropolis, people don't have time. And so you're constantly scurrying, hoping that you can meet with people just because they're, they work significantly different hours. It takes an hour, two hours just to go meet with them. So when you do meet with them, it's usually for a long amount. Of, it's for a long period because you're making your, your commute worth it. Whereas in a small, in the, just the pace of life, like you're tired a lot more. I remember just thinking I can do like one task a day. You know, yeah. There's just so much to do. Um, whereas even in a city that I'm in now, you know, yesterday someone texted me like, Hey, I'm by your house. Can, do you want to come hang out? And in my other cities, in the big city, you can't do that. Like there's no one near your house, you know? So you have to, uh, which is the nice part about living in a city like this is people do have time. The commutes are 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I'm bad traffic days, 40, but you just kind of know how to navigate that. And you just, you can, you see each other more, even if it's for less amount of time. So there's pluses and minuses to both. But yeah, that's the biggest factor. I want to just ask this because, you know, a lot of our listeners and all of our team members are college students and some of them want to go overseas, but they they aren't sure. They can't quite decide whether they should or shouldn't. What was it that made you decide to commit and to jump into that first two-year term? Well, I think I never, overseas was never in my 
like purview. And I, so I'm not, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up with this idea. Like my grandfather's a pastor, but I didn't, my parents were not Christians. So there was always like these random M's live like living in my, or missionaries living in my grandpa's house for sense of time, but I didn't really understand what they were doing or so I didn't really have a concept for this work. I think that's kind of important to know about my story. Um, so my first short-term trip was to Beach Reach. Uh, it's with spring break, Panama City Beach, you have a van and you are a free taxi driver for spring breakers. And that's kind of just when things started changing. That's like a monumental moment in my life. First time I shared the gospel with people, just a lot of different things kind of going on. And I remember someone mentioning the journeyman program specifically. And I was like, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. That is crazy. <laughs> Two years. you know, <laughs> It seemed so long. And didn't just something about that trip just kind of started something in me to where I went on that trip again. I went on some other short-term trips. So it was all these little things that were kind of, I wasn't looking for it. It just kind of started coming together. And then I went to India for a summer and I remember there was five of us on a team, three of them wanted to do long-term. And I was like, good luck. Uh, you enjoy your life. I'll come visit you in the summers. And fun, like, oddly enough, me and the other guy who were not committed to long-term work were, are the ones doing the long-term uh, So I think just the Lord's sense of humor in that. But yeah, it was, for me, it was a long, slow process. Um, even when I did journeyman, I was like, I'm doing two years and I'm going home that's the plan. I had left my hometown. I wanted to move back to my hometown and just, I was reading a book and I just felt really convicted that I wasn't really surrendering to this. I thought I was like, I was like obedient in the sense that I was like, I'll do the two years. And I, but I wasn't like completely seeking the Lord and what he wanted long-term. And so I've just felt really convicted in that. But yeah, it never, even after my last term, I was just like, maybe this is it. You know, maybe I've, yeah. I've done my time <laughs> and here I am still. Um, yeah. And so I think it's just a constant for me. It's constantly seeking the Lord going, is this still what you want for me? I'm not gifted in evangelism naturally. And so I think that's always kind of caused me some doubts of like, mm, I'm not great at this, you know, compared to other people. And so I've just always kind of had that, but it's constantly just seeking to be obedient to the Lord and constantly being told you're not going back home. <laughs> and so, <Yeah. laughs> um, and that's not a bad thing. I think no, it's, but yeah, mine's, my story is a little different, I think than most people. Um, but I think just doing those little trips helped me kind of start thinking of what this could be like. Even someone asked me, what, what people do you want to work with? And I was like, I don't understand what that means. Like, that's how green I was. I didn't understand that you would have people groups, and so I did some other short-term trips where I realized like the type of religion I wanted to work with, the type of place I wanted to live in. Like I kind of did those things kind of thinking about it, but not really sure and not really having guidance in that either. So it was kind of, again, a strange Lord just kind of step-by-step step helped me get there. But I think exposure definitely helped me just kind of start understanding those, those short-term trips really helped me process that. Yeah. Excellent. Well, we hope for sure for our, our people that the, the first exposure is really important. And then I think it's important that they just continue to take steps forward. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can get tied up in the minutia of all the different options, but just take that next step forward 
And I feel like there's a million ways God can shut the door on you going overseas. Mm -hmm. Like just keep push, pushing forward until he clearly shuts that door. And mm -hmm. then, uh, then you can, you know, you can be a sender, you can be a prayer, you can do all these other things. Um, mm -hmm. but man, if you're lucky, you get to be a goer. Mm -hmm. So let me, let's, I like that you said that you're not a gifted at evangelism. So that's excellent. Cause some of the other people on the, on the podcast we've had on, I would say they are gifted or actually they wouldn't all say that either, but I would say, wow, man, you're, you're so gifted at this. You've been, you know, plugging away so hard. So I think that's great. Cause I think a lot of our listeners can really connect with that. Hey, like I want to be obedient this, but I, <laughs> this, I'm not, I'm not a walking Paul. I, I don't just, you know, I'm not Billy Graham. I don't lead people to the faith all the time. So mm -hmm. let's talk about this, but I want to hear your story. How did you go from grandpa's a pastor I don't believe because I feel like there's I feel like there's a lot of power and sweetness in people who come to the to faith at a at an older age and that God does a lot of things with that. Um, and I've seen it over and over again in like college ministry, uh, people who are great college ministers that came to faith, you know, in college. And when we lead people to faith overseas, I think you know, they are able to connect with the lost in so, so many ways because they remember exactly what it was like to be however old, 18, 20 years old and making that choice. So how did you tell us that story? Yeah, I, so I never questioned God's existence, but I would probably say I didn't know the difference really between Jesus and God. Like, you know, I was mm. kind of, I didn't go to VBS. Sometimes I went with my grandparents, but I wasn't, my parents just they didn't love church. And so they didn't weren't against it, but they weren't pushing it. So we were the Chris, we went on Christmas because my grandpa said we were going on Christmas, <laughs> you know, and Easter because my grandpa said so. And so it's been really sweet, even the rest of my family as well. It was just my grandparents and my one aunt who were Christians. And but slowly but surely, like all of us becoming Christians in time. So it's just been a really sweet thing. And so my aunt, who I just She's just the most wonderful person. I love her so much. Um, she's only 10 years older than me, but she's just been without question, the most influential person in my life and just a good aunt, even at her young age. And she's even said, I always hear Superman music when you call me aunt Jen, <laughs> just like how much I've always loved her. And she was visiting. She didn't live in um, my hometown anymore. And she was visiting and I, we went and saw a movie. And then after the movie, she was walking me to my car, which was literally like 10 feet away. And I remember being like, oh my gosh, she's going to talk about Jesus. I don't know how <laughs> I knew, but somehow in my heart, I was like, oh goodness. <laughs> so, and it was just funny because she, that's when she shared the gospel with me. And I had not really heard it before. I'm sure I heard it at some point. I'm sure my grandfather and my grandparents shared it, but like, I don't remember ever actually hearing it. And there was this moment of my aunt talking about like Jesus coming. She's like, I believe Jesus is going to come back and I want you like with me, with him. And I just had this like picture in my head of like me trying to join like Jesus and his people. And I couldn't get in. And I just remember thinking I want to, I want to be there, you know? And so I didn't completely understand. It's funny. Cause you know, uh, people are like the next day they're sharing the gospel. I didn't, I don't think I could have done that. I know I couldn't have done that the, the day after I came to faith, but I was 16 I was really angry and bitter about just a lot of things going on. My parents had gotten divorced. I had some health problems that kind of ruined my life plans. 
there's just a lot of things going on in my heart. And I just felt like the Lord just taking that from me. Like I remember driving home, just feeling that weight just lifted off of me. I didn't get discipled though. So she lived far away. It's like before the internet was mainstream, you know, you had to dial up kind of, yeah. kind of thing. Uh, I don't feel like I'm that old, but when I say things like that, it, <laughs> it feels like it. And so I wasn't discipled. I went to church sometimes with a friend of mine and, but I ended up living with that same aunt in college. And so that's when I started going to church. Um, and even then I didn't go right away. It was a slow process for me. And then people at my church kind of just started investing in me and just spending time with me and trying to help me understand what this life is like. And it, but it was just definitely a slow process for me. So I was, I came to faith at 16, but I would say it probably didn't really click until I was 20, maybe 19. This because yeah, there was just a lot of pieces I didn't understand. I grew up in a Catholic town. And so that's just a, like, I knew we weren't Catholic, but I didn't understand what it meant to meant <laughs> to not be Catholic. And then I moved down to the Bible belt where there's no one who's Catholic and everyone is, you know, it was just a lot of different pieces for me going on, but it was definitely a slow process before. And no one even like one-on-one -on -one discipled me. No one was like, we're going to do this. You know, I never even had that, but it was just people who were taking the time to talk with me and help me understand and going, you should read your Bible. Like you need to do this just kind of little by little and not pressuring me, but just kind of helping me along the way and seeing that I was open to it. I just didn't know what to do. And living with my aunt and her family just was a real big help in that. My other cousin also came to live with us and she was kind of in the same boat as me. And so we were kind of doing it together as well. So how did you get started? Like, when did you first begin to be like, hey, maybe I should share my faith or share this good news? Oh, man. So I it mean, was, I guess you said it was a Beach Reach, right? It was Beach Reach. Yeah. The college minister, he presented Beach Reach and my cousin had done that and that it was like radically had changed her life. And I, she was like, you should consider it. And I was like, there is no way on this earth that I am doing that trip. That is the craziest thing I've ever heard. And I very distinctly heard the Lord say, you are going on this trip. And very clearly, like no question about it. And I remember just, it was, again, when you still wrote checks. And after that, I wrote the check and gave it to the college minister immediately. And I was like, I don't want to think about it. I didn't have the money for it either. Um, I had the money for that deposit with that check. And we're thinking, Lord, I don't have the money. I don't know what to do. And within an hour, someone goes, I'll pay for whoever wants to go on the trip. And I was like, oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> what is happening? And so that's that was really where the first time I ever shared my faith. And what was interesting about that trip, so I'm from Michigan. And again, I moved to the Bible Belt. And I was so nervous because where I'm from, you don't share your faith. It is very personal. You don't talk about that with strangers. And I was with people on, like the people on my team were very, they grew up in church. They were very strong evangelists, like really intense evangelists. And so I felt just insecure and I felt all these things. And, but everyone on spring break there was from Michigan. Ah. And so it was like my Pete, it was like, in a sense, my people group and mm -hmm. my team actually really struggled sharing the gospel with them because of we came off, we come off kind of hostile. We come up, we're not, but it just. <laughs> to Southerners, it comes off differently. And it was such a cool thing because I I just remember feeling like it was such a gift from God to give me those people because I knew how to talk to them in ways that no one else did. I remember particularly this one girl getting really hostile towards this guy because he just was like going at it. He would not relent. 
and me and her, like, I forgot how I did it, but we just started talking, was able to distract. And I was able to share the gospel with her, but it was just because I knew how to talk to her and I knew what was going on. And, um, it was just a really cool for me. It was just a very special, unique gift from the Lord to help me feel comfortable sharing the gospel because again, they, they were my people. I understood how to talk to them. It was just a fun, it was just, that was again, a life-changing thing. And at Beach Reach, it's such a cool trip. I highly recommend it for college students. You really just, you sense spiritual warfare in a really unique way because it's just so intense there of what the things that you're seeing going on and really seeing people, like you'd see people stumbling into your van and then all of a sudden sober up once you start talking about Jesus. And sometimes people didn't, sometimes they threw up, (laughs) but like, you know, so, um, But just seeing, really just feeling the Holy Spirit really working in people's lives and seeing it. You know, I my cousin actually was spring breaking on that trip, a different cousin, and he called me and we, so you do pancake breakfast in the morning, hoping to connect when they're sober or help sober them up at the very least. And so we had breakfast together every morning. And apparently I found out years later, that's like a part of his testimony is mm. us having those breakfasts together. And so just even now I can see just like the Lord was just so kind to me and helping me feel more confident. I wouldn't say confident, but just feel like, okay, like he can provide the right people. He can give you those words to say, and he can, if you're just willing to listen to what the Holy spirit is telling you to do. And I think that was for me, a huge lesson from that. And that just, again, started the, the process for me. So then what about when you moved overseas? How did evangelism look like there? What was same? What was different? And I know you've been in three different cities, so maybe how did it start? What's it what's it migrated into, grown into? You know, part of it, when you first go overseas, you're just trying to figure out how to do it in another language. And so you're just kind of, you feel like you talk like a caveman. You can basically say, Jesus loves you. And that's pretty much all you can say for a good chunk of time. Uh, so, but it's just trying to be faithful and obedient, uh, to those little things, even if it is something as simple as Jesus loves you and you're giving them, you know, a tissue cause they're crying on the street or whatever. It's just having eyes open to, to those people. And so I've always, I've told a lot of people, so I've worked with short-term teams or new people or whatever. I would say, God has always provided people at your language level. Mm. So if you're fresh off the plane, he always has provided an Eng- a very good English speaker friend for people. That happened to me. It's happened to time and time again to other people. And as as your language gets better, you meet people who can meet you at that level. And and I do. I think that's the Lord's gift in wanting you to share, asking you to do that this task. He sent us to do this task and providing those people who can who are ready to hear it. And so it doesn't change that much. Um, except for like the intensity is a little less. This is more of like, I'm living my life and trying to be intentional in living my life versus beach reach where it's like, we're here for this week and we're just going at it. You know, (laughs) we're going to do it. And so there is the intentionality is there on both ends. It's just one is more of a long-term intentionality versus the short-term intentionality. And that's to me, like I have more opportunities to hang out with these people in this part of my, in this part of the world, because I'm here for the long haul. Whereas at beach reach, you don't, you know, you're just like, well, my thought, well, I'm here. Might as well just say it now. You know, like, I don't know if I'll see them again. Whereas here, I, I hope that I will see them again a lot of time. I mean, they're very transient people. So 
you might not, they, the next day they might be gone, but have gone home or whatever, but I have more opportunities to do long-term and meet consistently and start. And I, I did, I had to start small and then just work, work up to it and in practice. And, you know, it takes a lot of discipline for language study anyway, but especially for the purpose of sharing the gospel. How long would you say it took you to be able to share the gospel? I'm not even going to say comfortably, but accurately in your your next your your language. Well, just to encourage people who are not language learners, I was like <laughs> slow language learner. I I was significantly slower than everyone else. I really struggle with language. I literally had a teacher go, I didn't really have hope for you to to get this. <laughs> and so <laughs> I it was bad. And so I would probably say, I don't know about sharing the gospel, but I would say probably two years, probably two years before I could have a good conversation and not feel like an idiot the whole time. And I would say five years when I finally was like, okay, I can stop studying. I think I I can do this. Uh, but it took, it was a long, very tedious process. Now I was teaching English too. So that didn't help. Like I had a I had a platform. I had a job in Central Asia. Most of us have a form of job because that's what we need for our visas. And so that didn't help, but it was, it was a long, it was a long time. Yeah. 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 (laughs) I can empathize. Keep at it as the advice. If you're going there learning, like you just got to plug away and know it's going to be a really steep hill. Yeah. I like the analogy that just about the time you think you got to the top, actually the clouds move away and you realize you're just on a plateau and there's a whole nother yep. cliff to go, you know? Exactly. <laughs> but keep, but keep going. And God, I, I affirm the same thing. God does provide uh, you English people who are studying English, you know, that he's been preparing their English level for years so that you can share with them. And as your language develops and of course the, the, the breadth of people that you can share with changes a lot. What do you feel like, are some of the differences or like, let's say, let me just ask it this way. A short term term team comes to you. How do you begin preparing them to share the gospel with your people group? So we don't have a set like way of doing EV here. Uh, I know some places do like, this is how we do three circles or we do this. We don't have that. And that's not a bad, it's not to say those things are bad. I think those things are very valuable and good. I think partially because it's very relational for our evangelism here. You need, it's a, it's a long process. So I work with Muslims It's central, it's central Asia, it's Muslims. So you really are chipping away at a lot. You have a lot of, of things that you need to kind of prepare them for before they're really ready to like hear you know, Jesus is the son of God or the whole, what the idea of the Holy spirit is just, always a a hard thing to to talk about. And so we do a lot of storing Mm. and which is just telling different stories of the Bible to bridge to like their life, which isn't again, the full, obviously we want to do creation to Christ or, you know, the one personally I like is called God in history. And it just shows the prophets of Islam, you know, or, you know, Christian prophets, but that they know in Islam and how Jesus is greater than those prophets. And but it's a long story set. It's like, I mean, it's like a 40 minute long evangelism presentation. So, but all those stories you have kind of in your toolbox to be ready 
to share and go, but you know, Jesus is greater because of this. Jesus is greater because of this. And so each story about Jesus connects to one of the prophets and how Jesus is greater. So Jesus has power over creation and Noah didn't. Uh, Jesus has power over death. Jesus has power over sickness and all these things connect to the old Testament. Um, because they're familiar with those prophets, they've heard the names, but the stories are different. And so trying to put them in a ground to where it doesn't like naturally make them seize up <laughs> and like, and shut you out. Um, again, we don't ignore who Jesus is. We don't, if people ask me point blank, you know, about Jesus, I will tell them everything, but they're ready with the apologetic side of things. They're ready for the debate. And so a lot of times it's me just them seeing how Jesus genuinely affects my life. And how this isn't just a word for being a Christian isn't just a word for me. This directs everything that I do, which is very foreign to them. And so even just talking recently to some people, like pick some stories that you love from the Bible and think of how does this connect to people? Like, why do you love this story? You love it because it, it's personal to you in this way. But when you're talking to someone and they're telling you something similar, you're like, well, this reminds me of this story. Did you know this story is in the Bible? And it connects to this idea. So for them even seeing that the Bible is for to guide us and to show us who God is and to help us live a life to obey him is really powerful. And so it's a lot of just telling different stories from the Bible. That's where like the foundation of it is telling different stories from the Bible, telling different parables that Jesus said all those kind of, so again, not hiding the fact that I'm a Christian, not hiding the fact that I believe in who Jesus is. We tell stories about Jesus as well, because they they know Jesus. They know the name. He's a prophet. And trying to explain to them he's he's greater than a prophet and using different stories to kind of accentuate that, I like to really hone in an idea. Yeah, that's kind of one of the things I wanted to ask on that. Like you're saying, like it takes a long-term time to share, but I think what I want to clarify for our listeners, it doesn't take you a long time to begin sharing. Would that be correct? Yeah, so absolutely. How, how long after you meet a person, how many times do you have to meet a person before you'll bring up things of faith? Well, I my my old team leader was really wise and he goes, I want them the first thing they know about me is that I, I love Jesus, right? So we don't mm, yeah, we don't a bait and switch. It's not a bait and switch kind of thing. If you don't talk about it, they're not gonna think that you're serious about it, right? If it's that important in my life, then I should be talking about it all the time. And so we're not trying to, it's not secret. And they assume you're American and you're Christian. If anything, I'm trying to go, Americans are not Christian. <laughs> And let me tell you, like, I, I chose this. And so that's, they assume things, but you're trying to clarify, like, this is different for me. We have a lot of Orthodox people, Eastern Orthodox people as well. So trying to even clarify, like, that's different than what I believe. And so, yeah, almost immediately, I want people to know I'm a Christian. I want people to know that I follow Jesus. It's just, and again, sometimes you do have opportunities to share the whole gospel right away, but more often than not, it takes time. How do they typically respond when you tell them a story that they don't know from the Bible, whether that's like an Old Testament one about uh, one of the one of the Old Testament characters they know, or it's a story about Jesus that they don't know? How do they typically respond? I have never had anyone respond negatively um, off the top of my head. They respect the holy writings, you know, to an extent. Right. And then once they feel uncomfortable, though, but it's corrupt, like it's, but it's, that's when you know, they're starting to feel uncomfortable and that's not a bad thing. That means you're hitting somewhere that they need to kind of, that the Lord can like work on in their heart. 
but for the most part, they respect it. They, again, they, they think Jesus is a prophet. They think Jesus is returning in like a rapture kind of way. And so like <laughs> they, they respect who Jesus is as a person. And that's, again, the key difference is showing, telling stories where it's like, no, he did this, but they don't know any of those stories. Those stories aren't in the Quran. If you ever, if you look in the Quran, it's, there's these weird stories from his childhood that we don't have in our scriptures, but they're from like the Gnostic gospels. Okay. And so which even most of them don't even know that they just know Jesus is a prophet. We're not, I don't live among the most like scholarly Muslim people. And so more often than not, I know more about Islam than they do. (laughs) And yeah, that's just kind of the nature of where we live. And, but they're not, they, they like these stories. They're, they're comforting to people. They're again, they believe in God and you know, how God cares for them is different than how we believe God cares for us. But they have some kind of box to put that in. And so it's not weird to do. They are spiritual people, even if it's a different type of spirituality They are, So bringing these things up are, is not strange. I think it's sometimes easier overseas to share the gospel because there's so much more spiritual over here. Even someone who is not practicing Muslim, I can just easily go, what is God teaching you? And they'll have an answer, <laughs> you know, whether or not they're just making it up or not, but it's not a weird thing to do. So even just bringing up like, well, Jesus said this, they respect even literature and like parables and poems. They love that stuff. It is just like the heart, like in their soul of of Central Asians. So bringing those things up, is not weird. They like it. They like storytelling. It's an important part of culture. So I've never had a negative response to it. And again, once they start feeling uncomfortable with the, the message of it, if we go like to the meaning of it, that's when they'll go, eh, it's crafted. It's crafted. <laughs> you know, so... <laughs> And how do you respond when they do that? Uh, it's corrupt. Or the Bible's been changed. It depends on, so it depends on who it is and it depends on our relationship. You know, if it's just a taxi driver, I was like, well, I don't believe, I don't agree with you. And we just kind of leave it at that. Like, <laughs> cause again, they're ready. They have been taught the apologetics against Christianity. It is deep in their heart, even if they're not super serious in their faith, they know, well, you believe in three gods. Well, Jesus wasn't the son of me. Like they know, like the, the Bible's corrupt, like hit on those three things right away. They will almost always do it when they don't really want to have the conversation. So I don't engage in the debate. If it's someone I know really, really well, then I'll say, well, let's talk about this together. Like, let's study this deeper. If you really, if you genuinely want to know and genuinely want to talk about this with me and why I believe that the Bible is not corrupt, then let's go into this deeper just because it's a smoke screen for them and they're trying to distract you from the heart of the gospel. And it's just not worth always engaging in it. And, and again, the Holy spirit helps you understand that. like, you know, like if you should go further or not, but I've just kind of learned they're ready to debate and I'm not going to debate that with them. Yeah. So counsel me on this. Cause I have some neighbors who are central Asian people groups, not yours, but a central Asian people group. And there's two families. One of them, one of them is kind of quick to, to engage in spiritual things, or they're more likely to want to talk about spiritual things. The other one, not much, but I can't seem to ever get past just those basic, I don't know what, those basic objections. What would you counsel me? What can I do to be better about like, go? I guess going around those objections to get to something of substance besides like just these boilerplate memorized answers, you know? I think part of it, 
part of my job, a lot of times is just asking questions. What I've realized is Muslims across the world have very different answers <laughs> to very things you think would be very basic. So who is God? And you will get the gambit of answers. What is sin? So asking these kind of questions, I don't think I've ever gotten the same answer for what is sin, not once. And so for me, you have to kind of know where they are first because they have, they, even if they're not real practicing Muslims, again, they know the right answers to say. And so just trying to ask those questions about what they actually believe helps you kind of know where to go next. Because I've just, throughout time, I've just realized, man, these people, they're the same people group, but they do not have the same faith. And, you know, and especially with women who don't genuinely go, like, tend to go to the mosques, they don't tend to practice their faith as outwardly as men. Having those questions, so they're not as educated in Islam compared to some other people. Oh, you know, general, genuine, like, generally speaking. And so realizing they all have different answers to those questions. And so just kind of starting with those basic questions of like, where did sin come from? Or what does this mean? Or because sometimes they'll say something to sin. I'm like, why is that a sin? You know, I don't understand. And so if we don't even have that same foundation, then getting to the gospel is hard because you don't think you're a sinner or you don't think you've done anything wrong or you think you've done everything wrong. And then there's that little checkbox behind you uh, marking everything. And so I think just asking questions about their faith and, and that helps me see how much they know as well. Um, you don't have to be an Islamic scholar to share the gospel with Muslims by any means, but I was a history teacher. So I knew about stuff like that anyway, <laughs> not in depth, but I knew it. I knew a lot and compared to some other people just from having to teach about it. And I would have to teach about world religions and things. So it just depends on the person. I don't know if this is a question you can answer, but this is what I, the question I have is, can you tell us in some way, form or fashion, like how, how do you feel like sharing with a woman overseas, specifically in a Muslim context is different than sharing with a man? Like maybe what, cause I'm, you're probably not my assumption. You can correct me where I'm wrong. My assumption is that you're not getting to share with men nearly as often as you do with women. What can you tell us from like what you, what guy teammates experiences versus yours is that a question that can, can be answered? I would say, so yeah, I don't share with men. I don't, the only men I usually interact with are like my taxi drivers. And so if anything, we just do kind of, if I get to share the gospel with them, it's, you know, usually a, a broad overview. It's a quick conversation. I would say what people are struggling with or what they're talking about, what their main topics or conversation are different, which leads to those different stories that you're sharing. So I say at the foundation of humanity, we all want to be happy. We want to be successful. Now, what that looks like is different. And that's where things differ. So their fears are different. Their desires are it was like, I know where I used to live. Having two wives was like locker room talk for the men. And they, it was like always like their, their go-to conversation, like trying to get a second wife. Whereas my conversations were women terrified that their husband was going to get, get a second wife. And so how we address that was different and not, I mean, we, we had to have this conversation a lot on our team of like, what do we do? You know, cause the Bible isn't the best example. I mean, you know, Solomon had a thousand lives. For lives yeah. And so, but kind of trying to get to the heart of the issue of like, why do you, why do you feel the need to like strut your stuff with all of, you know, these wives, God, why did you think God would be pleased with that? And even with the women going, well, 
you know, and just hearing their heart in that and sharing like God hears you. Like, so the story of Hagar is actually a very important story that I've shared a lot with women, women specifically. I don't think men would care as much, but it's a slave woman, an Egyptian slave woman who has been abused uh, severely and, and has to deal with that. And God, yet God hears her crying in the desert and sharing that story of like, look, like God heard her and God blessed her. Not, you know, he didn't even just go like, oh, such as like, he blessed her and he helped her and he told her what to do. So how we go about that same question is a little different. And again, the heart of the issue is going to be, is it, the roots are always the same, but how they process that is different. Again, even the sin, sin piece, how you treat your wife and all these how God looks at them and understands them. I don't, I can't speak into the men's side as much just because my experience has not been that. I don't, I really don't interact with a lot of guys. So let me ask you this kind of follow-up question just on something you said there, because it's so foreign to anything we deal with in America. Like we have locker room talk and we have these kind of things, but we don't really have two wives. What, how do you, how do you sit with a, a Muslim woman whose husband just took a second wife. Like how, tell me about that. What do you, how do you bring comfort, healing, the good news? So thankfully I have not had that happen to a friend. It's just always the fear. But I will say, I know people who have had this experiences. I think part of it is just being with them in crying with them and going, it's going to be okay. Like, even though it hurts and even just kind of acknowledging, like, this is not what God wants for you. Part of, we think of Muslim women consistently, like always oppressed all the time. That's not always the case, (laughs) but, but it also is true in a lot of ways as well. You know, so it's not, I think we think of the versions of it. It's not like Sharia law or anything like that, but there is oppression. And where I live now, it is an unsafe country for Central Asian women. It's the most unsafe country for women and in our region. And so just being like, God hears you, God loves you. These, you know, it doesn't mean that you're bad. You're not cursed because this has happened to you. I think that you're not shameful because this has happened to you. That was his choice and it was the wrong choice. And yet you can still you know, God, God is with you in that. And I think that's just being with them and crying with them and helping them through that. They need a friend. And a lot of where I used to work, where the the multiple wives scenario was more prevalent. They don't have a lot of friends. They are in their family. They're very suspicious people. And so they don't have an outlet to talk about these things with. And so do you just being that person for them to kind of talk about that with is really important and really helpful in, in sharing the gospel. It like leads you to those things of knowing I care for you. I'm with you and I'm going to pray with you through this. So praying with them is really important. They're not against you praying for them. They again are spiritual people. And so doing those things is really helpful. I had a friend who, who was, a thought it was going to happen. She called me really nervous about things about it happening. And I said, okay, like, well, let's read the Bible and let's see what God has to say about what you should do in this. And I did not know what to do. I just just remember, I was like, oh my gosh, I like called a teammate and I was like, what do I read? And I don't, I don't even remember what scripture we read, but we read it. And I said, what is it telling us? 
And she was like, it's going to be like, kind of like, it's God's with me. It's going to be okay. And it's like, okay. <laughs> like, but, and that was just, it shows her that this again, guides my life, that Jesus is very real in my life. But again, that God sees her now with the men, because our team talked about, again, we talked about this a lot. How do we share? What do we do? You know? And a lot of them was asking the question, like, why, again, why do you think God is honored by that idea? What makes you think that God is pleased with that idea? Just because it's in the Bible doesn't mean he's saying it's okay. Uh, And so that was a lot of the, I don't know how those conversations continued, but I know that was always like the first question that they asked of like, why do you think God is honored by this idea? Um, Because he's not. And they, and they're, again, they're just trying to show off and, which is part of life, I guess, but part of what people do. Yeah, that's true. Sometimes easier. It's more easy to see someone else's glaring, glaring mm-hmm. pride and boastfulness than our own. I was once offered to be the fourth wife um, because I was <laughs> old, miserable, and lonely. So that was an interesting <laughs> <experience> as well. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I was not as holy in that scenario, but I, I was offered it and turned it down. As tempting as it was. <laughs> as tempting as it was. That's right. That's right. How long do you think it took you to get an idea or how did you go about understanding their worldview enough? Like you talked to, at your beach reach, you know, like God brought Michigan to you because so, these are your people. How did you go about learning that? You know, this is your third city. How long are you? How are you? How are you coming in the process of learning that here? You know, what can our students do to learn more? But I will say something I've noticed people struggle with is observing and reflecting. And I would say that's probably for me, I tend to be pretty observant. And even though people think I'm an extrovert, I am an introvert. So I'm I'm somewhat reflective. And I think that's the important piece in being able to learn the culture is really thinking through what's going on or what just happened, Uh, you know? And I would say that's what I see most younger people struggle with the most is, you know, Sherlock Holmes, there's this quote from him, like one of his books is like, you see, but you don't observe. And I think that's to me has always kind of stuck out is a lot of people see, but they're not observing what that actually means for people's lives. And so I think it's always pain. It really is having to be very observant and afterwards always thinking through what's going on and talking with people who are older, who've been on the field for a long time. Uh, thankfully mm-hmm. I've had, I've just been really blessed with people who have had a lot of experience and who took the time to really help me see things. They would, we would do something and then they afterwards they go, okay, no, notice this, 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 and this. And so they're very intentional with me. And I really am grateful for that. Even just how to host people. They're like, now you always do this. You always do this. You always do this. <laughs> And I've seen people who don't do that and who don't listen to the older people. Now, granted, there's generational differences. You hanging out with college students on a short-term basis is very different than them hanging out with their 50-year-old friends. But there are some things that are across the board. And even then, even despite the generational differences, there are things to learn. And so, but really observing, again, how they react to some things, how, like, so me, I'm single, and how people have reacted to that facet of my life has been very different. And it definitely shows a part of their culture. So just an example. So once I turned 30 and I was still unmarried, that's when things kind of people reacted very differently to me. And I had, so I have a cat, I got her fixed and someone goes, multiple people actually 
I would probably say three people go, are you not causing your cat to sin by not letting her have kittens? And I remember thinking, well, what an <laughs> odd comment, but it really, but after like thinking about it, I was like, well, that really shows me a lot about their culture because everything in their culture is geared to having children. You have to have children to be a woman. You have to have children to be, to be complete. And even through this idea of my cat not having <laughs> children, it, it still shows there, but some people would not hear that comment and they would just kind of keep going with the conversation. You need to pay attention to that stuff. It's important for you to think through and even talking about it with teammates or whoever, what in the world did that mean? And you might not have that answer right away, but it leads you to keep asking that question. So when, again, it happened the first time I thought it was kind of strange, but then it kept that comment kept coming up and I was like, what is going on? And it took me a long time of studying and, and reading and having, continuing that conversation with people to realize it's because children mean everything. You are not a complete woman until you've had children. And that applies to the animal kingdom as well, apparently. And so, but it took me observing and reflecting to do that. I think a lot of people, especially when you're here for a short time, you want to share the gospel as much as you can, which you should. That is a good desire. That is what we want for you to do. But you're so, they're so concerned with going, okay, now I'm going to share the gospel. Now here's where I'm going to do it. This is where I'm going to do it. They're not actually listening to the conversation. They're just waiting for that little pause or that moment where they can just jump in. And you need to be looking for that. And that's good. But you also need to be listening to what they're actually saying. And that's, and it's a hard thing to learn. You kind of have to train yourself and, and be right. Again, the Holy Spirit is able and trusting in him to provide those moments. But I think that's, a hard part for people. And you don't learn the culture if you're only just thinking about when you're actually going to talk yourself. Um, so you have to just be, and you have to be willing to ask questions. So I've even now something happened when I first got here that was unusual for me. And so again, I've been in multiple cultures at this point now. And I was like, this doesn't seem right. And so I just asked a friend, I said, Hey, this happened. Is this right? And they go, no, that is not right. And I was like, okay. So like, even me just asking those questions of like, I don't know if this is okay, is this, did I do this right? They're not always going to be honest with you about what I'm allowed to do and what they're allowed to do, but it's just continuing to ask those questions and even comparing the answers. So just because one person says it's one thing doesn't actually mean that that's 100% true. Uh, it might be true for them. It might not be true for other people. So continuing to ask those same questions over and over to people also gives you a, a broader view of what is actually going on. Um, that's really good. What about what are some of the obstacles they have to overcome to come to faith and how do you help them walk through some of those? Cause I feel like some of their obstacles are different than ours would be. I think, you know, again, the, the Muslim obstacle is obviously to them who they are is Muslim, despite, you know, whether or not they actually practice or not. And you can't separate who you are from that. So any central Asian, you know, they'll, I think this is across the world. They'll just change the people group in the culture or the religion to be central Asian is to be Muslim, to be, you know, Tibetan is to be Buddhist or whatever it is. And whereas, you know, Americans were very individualistic. Our identities are more fluid and, and we're, we like that we're we, you know, embrace that. Whereas here they don't. And so trying to show them, you know, to be whoever you are does not mean to be Muslim that's a huge hurdle to get past. I don't have great advice as to how that works, but, <laughs> and it's just continuing showing them 
who my identity is in Christ, who I was before. That's a big part of the conversation. I, I just because I'm American does not mean I'm Christian and really having to hone that in of like, I, the Lord opened my eyes to this. I chose this because of who I realized who Jesus was. That's really hard for them to grasp because they didn't choose it. They were told it. And again, they have a box for Jesus. And so you're really fighting against, it's not people who've never heard of Jesus. They have all heard the name of Jesus. They just heard the wrong story about Jesus. And so it's a lot of, it, I would say it's probably different than a lot of other places in the world where it's like the first time they've ever heard who he was. They've heard his name, but it's the first time they've ever heard, you know, that he is the savior, that he was, that his, he, you know, some, some of them believe he didn't die on the cross. Some of them, they'll believe he's sinless, but they don't believe he died on the cross. So they they take pieces of it. And so you have to really figure out what do they actually believe about Jesus and kind of work from there. That is a huge piece to what I have to do when I'm having conversations with people is just going, where are they in understanding what we're, you know, what this is and what Christianity is and who Jesus is. And then kind of having to adjust from there, which is why we don't have like probably a set EV tool is because every conversation is just so different. And again, you know, they believe that we believe in three gods and the Holy spirit part is just it. That's, it's a hard hurdle to, (laughs) to cross. Usually I'll tell people, I've just learned, I can't, there's nothing I can say that will properly explain the Holy Spirit. I can try my Mm. best. Um, I have little anecdotes that I try to say. Um, At the end of the day, I say, you know, you need, let's study the word of God together. If you genuinely want to know about this, because only God can reveal what this means to you because it's complicated. And and I say, God shouldn't be small enough for us to understand him completely. And if we could understand him, that would be really boring and he wouldn't be as he magnificent be as he is. Yeah. And so, but as like, but we can read, if you really want to know, we can read the Bible together for you to ask these questions. God likes your questions. Those are not a bad thing. Whereas in Islam, questions are not necessarily a good thing. And so giving them the opportunity to do that is important to people. If, if you genuinely want to understand the Holy Spirit, I can never explain it well enough but God can, and he can through his word. And so let's read his word. That's a big piece. That's a big hurdle as well. And persecution, you know, in Islam to even consider Jesus being who we say he is, is blasphemous. It's the unforgivable sin. And so they're taking a lot on, there's a huge risk involved by them, whether or not their family will persecute them, or even that fear that God will just smite them for thinking that, I mean, that's the thought process they're, they're having. And so really just showing them that Jesus is worthy of that, um, even if persecution comes. And it's, you know, easy for me to say from my American background, but even just showing them if that happens, I'm with you and I'm here for you. Um, And you have a church now, you have a, you know, holy family that is with you. Yeah, you might lose something. I can't promise you that you won't, but I can promise you that you do have a family that will help you along the way and support you. But that's a really real thing that they have to to wrestle with. And if they're going to take that chance. That's true. What is it that keeps you plugging away, continuing to tell people about God and uh, in what maybe I would describe as hard, rocky soil? Maybe it's like baked desert, hard plate, you know, that you can't break up with a jackhammer. What keeps you sharing your faith there? What keeps you living there? Yeah, I think... 
in our region, you know, we don't have 200 years of William Carey, you know, William Carey didn't come here and no one came here. So we don't have 200 years of, you know, people slowly sowing seeds or anything like that. We have about 30, 40. And so I think recognizing that is important. You know, I hear all these stories of, you know, you go to training and then everyone goes across the world and you hear all these cool stories and you're like, like, where am I? And just recognizing, you know, they've had a long time and granted there's a billion people in, you know, India or China or somewhere. That's a lot of people to cover. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy or anything, but it is different in the fact that they have had the gospel sewing through there for a long time and we haven't. And so I think for me personally, I've never taken the easy road. (laughs) I've always somehow always picked the hardest possible way for everything. And so I just kind of had moments of laughing, just like, well, Lord, I guess you've just been preparing me for that from the beginning and just constantly going to the Lord in prayer and asking him for help. And even just asking for encouragement, because there definitely have been moments of extreme discouragement. I'd say after I lived in among those really hard people groups, I just remember thinking, Lord, I don't know if I can do this anymore. I'm so tired. I'm weary. And just coming to him for encouragement with that. And even taking a break sometimes of like leaving the city and just going to be with friends and encouraged is really important. But constantly just being in the word and realizing it's not about me. And it's not, it, it's always about Jesus. And my job is not to save them. It's Jesus's, you know, ability to save them. It's not mine. And just trusting like I'm trying to be faithful with what I can and just trusting that God will do other things, you know? So even just again, going back to beach reach, you know, my cousin, I don't think I share the gospel with my cousin while we were there. You know, he knew what I was doing. He, but I just was with my cousin and because I love him and he's a great guy. And it was just enjoyed having pancakes with him every morning as he was sobering up. And, but God used that in ways that I didn't understand. And so trusting that even though I'm sharing with people and nothing's happening, but trusting that he can do something. Um, actually one of my coworkers, we used to live in that metropolis together and she recently ran into someone from those days and they go, Hey, someone just came to our church and they said, you shared the gospel with them. And they mm-hmm. came to faith and she goes, who is it? Like, who is this person that I'm talking to? And so we don't know what's going to happen, but it's our, God has asked us and commanded us to share those, share the gospel and trust him to do the rest. Right. Like um, Paul says, you know, so-and-so planted, I watered, but God causes the growth and just trusting. I can't do it. And I'm not supposed to, and that's Okay. Um, but it doesn't mean that I don't share. It doesn't mean that I keep, you know, going along. And, and and it's been a hard few years for me. It's been a really hard few years for me. And, but seeing now at the end, like of the, the difficulties, just how the Lord has been with me the whole time. And just the blessings of seeing some of the fruit from that um, have been really sweet. And I'm really grateful for it at the end, even though it's been, it's been really hard. Well, I, I love missionary bio- biographies. And one of the things I've noticed is a lot of them do have a good stubborn streak or chose the hard way. And then God takes them overseas and uses that. And uh, I'm really grateful that God put you where, where he has you hope and pray that uh, you continue to share your faith and hope and pray that he continues to be gracious 
and let you see some of those seeds that you plant that later blossom after you mm -hmm. you've gone. I feel like the key is being faithful mm -hmm. and you know, you be that one link in the chain and whatever that looks like, you know, you be that faithfully and you trust God on the rest. And so we're really grateful for that. Oh, can I add one more thing? Really oh, quick? absolutely. So I will say too, I would say young people, they're all about using their gifts and that's a good thing, right? We're, we want to know our giftedness. Like that's a big church thing, knowing your spiritual gifts or whatever. You don't always all the time get to use your gifts and you have to push through those times when you're not getting, you're not in your gifting. And it takes time and Lord willing, you get to do that very quickly, but you don't always, sometimes you just have to go through the muck of not being able to use your gifts. And I would say, so I've been overseas 10 years and I would say this is the first year that I've really felt like I'm in my, my sweet spot and using my gifts and using and seeing the Lord use all these different things for, for ministry here, but it's taken you know, 10 years to get to that point. And so just continuing, like, like we've already said to be faithful, even while you're not in that, that sweet spot of giftings, like it can come. And, and if you're not there yet, it's okay. <laughs> so, um, but just keep, you know, being faithful and praying about it and knowing, recognizing that it's going it might look different than what you think it's going to look like. And I never would have thought I would be where I am and enjoying it, to be honest, when I came here, I was like, I don't know about this. And so, but just seeing how the Lord has used very specific giftings that I have and that I didn't realize to, for ministry, but it's taken a long time to get there and that's okay. Yeah. That's a, that's a great word. Absolutely. Great word. Really great thing. As I close in prayer, what's like two or three things that our listeners could be praying for you for? Um, we and have, keep in mind that some of them will be listening in like two or three years from now, they'll be listening to this interview again. So what's a good long-term stuff that's they can true. pray for? Um, I think, so I work with, like I said, I work with university students and the fun thing about university students, right. Is that they are more open to new ideas. And so just be praying for us. They do take a while for some of them to be more open. Some of them are seeking right away. Some of them are not. And so just for us to be, to be bold with the gospel and relational at the same time, and those things do not negate each other. And so just be praying for us as we're spending time with people and we're intentional with them and that their hearts are open to that. Again, a lot of, I've seen some people seeking right now who are just scared to take that step and so that they have the courage to actually take that next step is you know, just be praying for them in that. But that's a continual prayer for us as we're working with these these students who are coming from all over the country to study here and that we just are are faithful to being with them and sharing with them and helping them. Absolutely. Heavenly Father, uh, we love you and we praise you so much for the work that you've been doing there long before anybody that Nina knows set foot there. And we pray that you would bring those things to fruition and fruit and pray that you would help her and her uh, friends and coworkers and teammates to continue to sow the seed and that pray that you would bring in a large harvest. God, and we pray that you would send more laborers uh, over into your harvest there. And God, we do lift up these college students that are thinking and pondering. And I pray that you would help them have the courage to take that step, that you would speak to them and that they would know that this is the way and that they're going to walk in it. I that you'd give her encouragement and, uh, and fruit. And uh, we pray all that in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, thanks for having me. 
Yeah. Thanks so much for being on and uh, look forward to visit with you again sometime in the future. Yeah. Come on back. Or we'll host <laughs> you again. <laughs> Sounds great. Listeners, we'll catch you next time on the One Link Podcast. <laughs>